warning. This show is intended for a mature audience only and may contain harsh language, trans fats, live nudes, and derogatory comments about your mother. Those who are easily offended or have no sense of humor are encouraged to turn off the show now. Parental discretion is advised. My enemies are many. My equals are none. They fear me like a force of nature, a dealer in thunder and death. I say, I am Emperor! Celebration of mediocrity. All this energy calling me back where it comes from. It's such a crude attitude. It's back where it belongs. All the little kids growing up on the skids are going Cleveland rocks, Cleveland rocks. German Jean Jean, Moody James Dean, going Cleveland rocks, Cleveland rocks. From the shores of Lake Erie to the banks of the Cuyahoga River, live from Cleveland, Ohio, USA tonight, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Emperor's Court here on First World Productions, VTWProductions.com. I am your host, the Emperor, and I am not joined in studio this week by my co-host Highlander, who's actually out this week. Uh, as mentioned earlier on our forums, uh, Highlander is attending a wake of a family member this evening, so our condolences go out to his him and his family, but uh, unfortunately he will not be joining us this evening. So it'll be just be me. Now, I'll give you a heads up, folks, a little bit of a warning. Um, I am not in the greatest of shape today. I'm in actually a great deal of pain as it happens. So I will not promise the show will go until 9 o'clock, which is its normal time. I know uh, it's kind of a, a wonky tom- time. We were doing 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. And then for the last month and a half, we've been doing nothing with Shoutcraft, which, as you've now seen, is not airing. Shoutcraft will air Saturdays uh, around noon Eastern, and that's being run by Total Biscuit. I will not be able to broadcast Shoutcraft because my time doesn't really uh, work with that. It's better to air it on Saturdays. I've got some commitments coming up on Friday nights. It's just not going to be possible to keep doing Shoutcraft, which, Shoutcraft, which is a live show just like this is. The difference is the vast, 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 vast majority of you people listen to this on podcasts, so I can always record those shows in advance. Post them on, you know, iTunes or what have you, and nobody seems to miss a beat. Shoutcraft, on the other hand, if you miss a show, you miss a lot, and I would hate not to be there, so obviously we're just going to do the talk show for now, and Total Biscuit runs Shoutcraft on Saturdays at noon. You can also catch that right here at Versal World Productions, vtwproductions.com. Anyways, folks, I'm in a great deal of pain. Um, obviously, I'm under the weather, so I cannot promise you that we'll go the full three hours, but I didn't want to cancel the show, because I know we're kind of getting back to our 6 p.m. starting routes here which is unusual. I wanted to put out a Facebook update, but apparently Facebook's down. So I wasn't able to do that. I was only able to throw up a late-minute uh, reminder on the front page of ETW Productions because I can't access it at work. The government doesn't like me accessing my gaming sites while I'm supposed to be doing my job, which makes sense, I guess. 
Having said that, let's get down to business. How, here's how you can get in contact with the show. Here's how you can get in touch with the guys. Send an email to them at emperor1g at cox.net or join us in IRC at irc.quakenet.org in channel VTW. Actually, it's a good thing you brought that up. Somebody just said that uh, Roger Ebert, I believe it was, wrote an article recently that video games are not art. We will be um, dealing with that, actually, during this show. I've got that on my bullet list of things to discuss and talk about. Excuse me a minute while I'm adjusting my microphone here. I have not been able to get out to the Guitar Center, which is our local place for buying the new boomsticks. I have not been able to get out there and get the new one. The new stands that I had promised on getting with some of the money you guys have donated. My apologies for that, but it's been a very hectic week, which kind of ties in with the uh, pain that I'm in, but I'm not going to go into that, mainly because you don't want to hear about it, and I'm tired of talking about it. So having said that, let's go. All right, so Highlander is not here tonight, uh, so it's kind of going to be hard to debate these topics and subjects when he is not here. Not that it really matters, even when he is here, I'm almost always in the right. I think we can all pretty much agree to that, so I guess it's kind of like kicking a wounded dog. So let's take a look and see what we've got on tap for this evening. I've got that up from Roger Ebert, and I do want to tackle that, is that he's saying that video games are not art, and I could not disagree with that more. And not that I always agree with Roger Ebert um, when it comes to movies. For those who are not in the United States and may not know, Roger Ebert is a American, a very well-renowned uh, film critic here in the United States. And he and his longtime partner, I, it was, who the hell was it? It was... God, now I can't remember his partner died a few years. Roger Ebert and somebody else, and I, I cannot remember his name, and he died. This guy's still around. He had some throat cancer a while back, and I guess now he talks to one of those voice boxes. Anyways, he's decided to lower his sights and fire away both barrels on why video games are not art. I will be taking that up. I have Umbridge to take with that. Uh, I believe Penny Arcade also covered that. I think it was on Wednesday, um, which is actually the first time I heard it, and then none left sent me an article, obviously. And uh, as did Highlander, so... Excuse me. Now my throat's getting dry, so we'll be tackling that. Also, one of the subjects I wanted to get to last week, we didn't get a chance to, were uh, the nine topics, or the nine examples of what video games made you cry. What video game moments made you cry, like the big pansy that you are, and you know that you are. So we'll be going into that uh, a little later on, too. We've got, uh, let's see, this is from from Mechahawk, and this one kind of intrigued me. We'll start off with this one. StarCraft cheating scandal rocks Korea. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how you know you've hit the big time. You know, we've discussed on this show and other ones that I've run for years, trying to find out exactly when it was or when it is that video games went mainstream. When you can actually call them as part of, of you know, the, the sporting culture, esports culture, what have you. What do you rank them up there with the baseballs of the world and football and what have you? Now, I'm not about to say a video game or a professional game is on the same par as any of the four major sports in the United States or soccer abroad. I'm not getting to that. My point is, you know that games have gotten into at least the conversation to be considered a major sport, quote-unquote. When you now have cheating scandals... Rocking various tournaments and games. Get this. Quote. Uh, this one comes from GamePron.com. G-A-M-E-P-R-O-N.com. The largest scandal in esports history is currently unfolding in Korea with revelations that a number of current pro gamers are involved with match setups and illegal betting. Illegal betting. 
So essentially, this is no different than a, a high-caliber boxing match. If somebody is going to take a dive to somebody else, and they're throwing down money on Mike Tyson to beat whomever. While the gamers are unnamed at this point, the story is said to touch many A-list StarCraft celebrities, including Savior, Jamei Yoon, one of the best-known and most successful players of all time. Really? Apparently, what's going around is that some players have been found to intentionally lose matches, as well as leaking their team's replay files to illegal gambling groups. And what it goes on to say is, and it's very similar, and they bring up the analogy, and I think it's very apropos, saying that this is very similar to the Black Sox scandals in 1919. Now, being the big baseball mark that I am, allow me to explain to those of you who either don't follow the sport or are American and wouldn't know this. Back in 1919, the Chicago White Sox were in the World Series. And I believe they were playing, I want to say it was the Reds or the Braves. I don't know, remember which. Anyways, it's not important. Anyways, the, uh, what happened was some of the mobsters got involved with the Black Sox or the White Sox players. And a good number of them, including a very famous Cleveland player by the name of Shoeless Joe Jackson, took money, allegedly in his case, took money to throw the game. It was a seven-game series. And they took uh, enough money for them to throw the World Series because the gangsters were running uh, betting rigs, and they wanted to make sure the Reds won. So they did. Anyways, this was found out. It made huge headlines. All the Black Sox were banned from baseball. They were kicked off the team, banned from the Hall of Fame, banned from baseball for life. To date, it's been the biggest sporting scandal in the history of this country, perhaps the world. And apparently, this now is being equated to that. According to Korean sources, the drama all started several years ago in 06 and exploded apparently in 2008 when betting websites started to contact various players inquiring about rigging their matches. And it goes on to say that were coaches, former coaches, former pro gamers, and match announcer. Ooh, a match announcer? Wow, somebody in my position. Went on to say that there are that they formed betting groups, kind of like in Las Vegas. Uh, basically, it's like a sports book. And they contacted these various players and said, we'll give you X amount of dollars if you're willing to throw the match. Make it look good, but go ahead and lose to this player. So essentially, let's say you have Savior going up against somebody who's, you know, of a much lower rank, somebody that you normally steamroll. So obviously the bettings would be very heavy in favor of those who will bet StarCraft. And I question, it doesn't actually say in the article exactly how much money is being spent on stuff like betting StarCraft. I suppose if you're a gambler, you'll bet on damn near anything, but... And it goes on to say that they started contacting these players, and the players would throw matches against heavily favored opponents, or that they were heavily favored against certain opponents. So obviously there would be a huge swing in the amount of money they, of the intake. Quote, blacklist of players have been posted and taken down from the internet. We found a reportedly translated version which names most of the current major StarCraft pro gamers in Korea, currently under investigation, including Yarnik, Luxury, Sangho, Effort, Movie, Savior, Bizu, B-I-S-U, Stork, Best, Hero, Fantasy, Up Magic, Jay Dong, Lita, Justin, and Go.Go. Okay, I kind of like the South Koreans. If for the only reason that they take, they just pick the most basic of names, like Fantasy, and Movie, and Savior. I mean, those are easy to pronounce, unlike the rest of you people who pick the weirdest damn names. I suppose there's only one thing I hate about actually shoutcraft, shoutcasting a game. When I'm doing broadcast or play-by-play, is trying to figure out how to pronounce your names. God help me. Anyways, go ahead and say, with both Saber and Effort previously BlizzCon champions, it'll be interesting to see if they actually show up for BlizzCon this year or if they're you know very quietly told not to show up. Man. 
I mean, we always kind of talk about it. It's always kind of like, uh, I don't know necessarily it's a stereotype, but it's kind of a running joke, at least around the world. When it comes to professional gaming, if you think about it, how big StarCraft is in South Korea? And how big, I mean, that, that one particular game is in that country. And to find out this, you know what? I guess I shouldn't be so surprised. On the right hand, I, I think that's kind of nuts that it is. Now, hang on, no left posting this. Apparently, uh, Savior is rumored to have accumulated around $2 million from illegal betting and matchmaking, while on average, each player would receive about $4,500 from throwing each game. All right, and, uh, he sources StarCraft.org, uh, and it's got, apparently, it's in their blog section. All right, well, uh, I preface this with saying that's a rumor from a blog spot, StarCraft.org. I got to be honest with you, I'm not particularly familiar with them. So whether that's credible or not, I'm not entirely sure. But let's, for the sake of argument, just for the sake of, of discussing this, and Divine Justice says he's a Bisu fan. He says, I was filled with joy when Bisu beat Savior in the championship 3 nothing. Well, now I wonder. $2 million. I guess that really puts paid to the question of how much betting is actually going on, how much money is being spent. But this, more than anything, should just bring home, you know, the fact that, or, or uh, I'm trying to put it in, in words I can really, you know, try to convey here. I guess it really puts in perspective exactly how big this game is in that country. And there are other huge games. Warcraft 3 is very big over there as well. And I was going to say, I should not be surprised. I suppose any kind of sport, any kind of event that acquires that kind of attention, whether it be media, pop culture, mainstream, whatever, that gets that kind of attention would obviously eventually lead to this kind of, of illegal activity. People are going to make a buck. It's not just an American thing. People are going to make a buck any way they can. And if that means rigging games, and we just had a scandal last year, I think in the NBA, of a referee that was taking uh, bribes or was betting on games that he was uh, officiating. And he said he wasn't the only one doing it. I remember the Pete Rose scandal in baseball uh, about 15, 20 years ago. He was the manager for the Reds. Obviously, he was one of the best players in baseball. Was actually betting on games while he was managing the Cincinnati Reds. And they threw him out of baseball. I'm not sure does Cincinnati kind of... I guess it does count, doesn't it? People are kind of questioning in the uh, IRC channel as to whether or not Cincinnati is part of the whole drinking game, the Empress Square drinking game. Well, it's part of Ohio, so I guess, yeah, it does kind of count. I guess there is that. Maybe it was naive of me to believe that video gamers had a bit of more integrity than your normal run-of-the-mill, jaded, roid freak, have-no-moral-compass type of sports players that we deal with on a daily basis. You know, the kind of guy who gets caught trying to get on an airplane with a loaded gun, or some quarterback from Pittsburgh who's, you know, sexually assaulting 20-year-olds from here to Lake Tahoe, literally. You know, guys who are running drugs in the offseason. Maybe it's me. Maybe I am being naive. Manly stuff saying, video gamers? Integrity? Bah! Well, Maybe. I mean, I wasn't aware that this much game... I mean, when you think about it, $4,500 for the game probably isn't that big a deal. But, I mean, again, put in perspective, these guys aren't multi-million dollar players getting five, $6 million a year for contracts. I mean, StarCraft being as big as it is, it's still not betting on a baseball game or a Super Bowl. 
connected. I mean, this is the equivalent of of my of LeBron James breaking a bunch of threes in the playoffs to throw a game. No left is bouncing it out here, Ventrilo. He's on Wi-Fi apparently. I guess they don't have actual cable stuff in Australia. I don't know why. But I'll tell you one thing. And this isn't necessarily cheating. Well, you know what? I guess in a way it is. Baseball took years to recover from the strike in 1998. And I keep bringing up baseball mainly because it is the middle. It is the start of the baseball season around here in America. And I am a big baseball fan. If anybody who's actually followed the show it should be aware. It took a lot to get people back in the stands after the strike in 94 for baseball. And it's really weathered a pretty nasty storm here in the last several years with the steroid scandal breaking all over baseball. And all my heroes of the 80s and 90s came out to be nothing but doping idiots. And that's cheating. But you know what? In a way, it's still changing the way the game was played. It's still giving somebody an unfair advantage. And that does involve money. So I question whether if this comes out and is true, and they've got to prove it. Right now, they're saying it, they're under investigation. There's discussion of it. There's topics of it. But I begin to question, and I wonder, will this damage... Let me turn that down there. Will this damage the reputation of you know, StarCraft itself, especially in South Korea? Are people going to look at this the exact same way they have before? I mean, at least here in North America, we look at it, you know, playing with the South Koreans as some kind of you know, thing of dread. It's like, ah, oh, crap, we're playing against South Koreans. Hell, that's the only reason divine justice is even in our clan is because he's Korean. Has nothing to do with social skills. He talks funny. He looks even weirder. But he's South Korean. He's of Korean ancestry, so we take him. No, I'm kidding. About the Korean part, anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess when we're when we're not actually there to see it ourselves, actually sit in the stands and arena watch the games being played. When we're not actually there to experience exactly how big this game is. Oh, Javon, I'm in Platinum League. Everybody's in Platinum. I've been Platinum League three times over. Arthros is in Platinum League. Mechhawks in Platinum. You're in Platinum. Friggin' Desperados in Gold. I think I got Platinum for you, did DJ? I play with you. We got silver. Why? Because you're too heavy for me to carry. Oh, 2v2 platinum doesn't count. Right. Kiss my ass. Get out your knee pads. Start apologizing. Everyone knows 2v2 doesn't count. Right. Yeah. Starcraft's a team sport. No, it's not a team sport, huh? Yeah. But I wonder if this will actually damage the reputation of that game. And the reason why this is significant is because StarCraft II is getting ready to launch. And you know this is going to be very highly anticipated over there. It's going to be highly anticipated everywhere, but I think it's it's on a whole different level in Korea. So if this kind of stuff is going on now with StarCraft One and the leagues they're going, and the money being spent, $2 million, now rumored, allegedly, given to Savior, and I'd love to know. Let's take a look at this place. Let's go to this. This I'm gonna uh, grab this source here that None Left is giving me, and we're gonna take a look at it. Starcraft player salaries. Thank you. Okay, None Left pulling this up here on Clan Dash OS. Let's see. 
List of salaries of professional StarCraft players in South Korea. List is old, but it gives you an idea how much professional StarCraft players are making. All right. These are in American dollars, I think. I believe. American dollar to Korean one exchange rate was rounded up to one by a thousand for easier computation. So, if I'm reading this right, I love OOV. I'm sorry. Is that... Hang on. Nick, team name, nickname, income, contract, monthly, yearly. All right. I love OOV from Clan Skit. Gets around $155,000. Wait a minute. That can't be right. No, let's explain this to me. Is this This is on clan-os.blogspot.com. Are these contracts in American money? Because they all have got the dollar sign. So let's see. American dollars to Korean one exchange rate was rounded up to one by a thousand from one nine hundred at the time data released for easier computation. All right, so if I understand this correctly, then Skit, or I'm sorry, I love OOV was getting thirteen thousand dollars American, which is one hundred fifty-five thousand Korean. Kingdom got eighty-five hundred. Go Rush got eighty-five hundred. These are yearly contracts, apparently. And then it shows their 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 total income. It's like four hundred fifty thousand. You know. Korean dollars. It goes on to show some of the other guys. It looks like Nada here makes $17,000 a year. Looks like the highest one up there. I'm not sure how the exchange, I mean, how the price of living is in South Korea, having never actually been there and knowing very few people from there. But there's some here making 13000 making 11000 9500 I mean, if you think about it, that's not too shabby for, I mean, playing sports, I mean, playing video games as a profession. Now, mix that in. If you're Savior, and let's say for the sake of argument, it looks like $17,000 American here is the biggest there is, the biggest salary that I'm showing, all right? For the sake of argument, let's say Savior's making twenty grand a year with endorsements, playing games, everything else, all right? And somebody comes up to you and says, we'll give you $4,500, roughly one quarter of your salary Right, Onan says in tournament profits. Yeah, that's true. And they offer you one quarter of your yearly salary to throw one game? And you're a 20-something-year-old, an 18-something-year-old video game player? I mean, I guess you'd jump at that. I, you know what? And this, this brings up another question. Is this actually illegal? I mean, in the United States, this kind of thing would be illegal because we've got you know sporting and gaming commissions in place for things like that. Is it legal over there? Would they actually get arrested? Would they face charges? Would they have to pay fines? I mean, granted, it should be a given they'll be tossed out of the StarCraft. I mean, they'll be gone as far as getting in tournaments. Stranger Danger saying it is illegal in South Korea. I wonder what the penalty for that would be if they're actually found guilty of something like this. Divine Justice claiming that they're making $100,000 after at least three or four years of nothing but StarCraft, even after they pretty much all live together and sacrifice for life. Yeah, I, I know. Highlanders brought this up before, and we know. That you're pretty much playing you know, 12 to 16 hours a day. But let's face it, folks. Other than a nasty case of carpal tunnel and probably gaining 40 to 60 pounds from inactivity, it's not exactly a difficult job. And especially the way things are today, I think people would probably jump at the chance to actually have that job. Probably any job. But I think it's a given if they come out. Obviously, they'll be blacklisted from all tournaments. 
They'll be blacklisted from practically anything they want to get into ever again. Andre asked things the show just started. No, actually, we started at 6 o'clock, Andre. We started at the top of the hour. We're back to our normal time now that Shawcraft has moved to Saturdays. Unfortunately, uh, you missed it when I opened the show about the firing of Highlander, which was um, very unfortunate. And I uh, was sorry to see him go, but Shawcraft will air tomorrow at noon. Yeah, Andre's like, well, what happened to Highlander? Well, Highlander and I had a bit of a problem. We had a bit of a falling out. Um, he could not come to terms with the fact that I was getting married, especially to a woman. And uh, I rebuffed his advances. He did not take kindly to that. We had a scuffle. I had to punch him out. And uh, that's why he's not here today. Yeah, no, uh, if you actually read the forums, he is out uh, this week because of a, uh, uh, he has a death in the family. He's attending a wake. So, again, our condolences to Highlander and family. So, And liar spelled with an A. L-I-A-R, Andre. So you fail at showing up on time and spelling. Congratulations. You suck twice. So, and I could spend, you know, I, that's actually kind of revitalizing. I could spend the next two hours just making fun of everybody in IRC. Yeah, see, everybody's correcting him in, in IRC. <laughs> Good. Good little word, Nazis. Good. You warm my heart. Speaking of Nazis, anybody catch the Deadliest Warrior Season 2 opener? A reason I bring it up is there's actually Nazis in this one. Deadliest Warrior, I, I don't know why, but I find that show very intriguing. And they're coming out with a game, as it happens. But I love that show. I, and I will tell you this, uh, there are very, very few shows I will make time to actually watch when they air on TV. Mainly because I don't watch a whole lot of TV. It's not some kind of big sporting event, I, I just don't have the time. You know, I, you know, if they say, I, it was kind of funny last night. Was it last night? Yeah. I was uh, trying to watch the NFL draft, and the Cavaliers, Cleveland Cavaliers, were in their playoff game against the Bulls. They're both airing at the same time. And Serenity was on the Sci Fi channel. So I'm flipping, I'm like, God, what do I want to watch? The draft? The playoff game? Nope. I put on Serenity and I watched that thing start to finish. Commercials and all. Aroko said I was about to cry because Highlander is like ice cream that goes good with a hamburger, which is you, Imp. I gotta tell you, that's kind of a weird analogy, Arokos. Uh, you're basically saying um, hamburger and Highlander's ice cream? Well, thanks, I think. I don't know how to take that. I mean, if Firefly was on, I would, like, friggin' wet myself... I mean, especially they brought that show back, which obviously will never happen. I would go out of my way to make sure I watched that show. If The Simpsons was actually decent and funny anymore, I would go out of my way to watch that show. I don't anymore, but... But Deadliest Warrior is a show that I... I know we kind of got off the StarCraft thing, but there wasn't much more to say on that. I kind of got bored with it. I would watch that show and have. I caught about halfway through the season last year. In fact, let me pull this up here. We actually got it saved in the uh, clan1g.net forums. I was discussing the the makeup. Now, people are like, well, how does this have to do with gaming? Well, it does because they actually have a video game coming out. So kiss my ass. There's, there's your tie-in. Let me hit the uh, forums up here, and I'll read you off the list. And I'm going to give you my, my reasons to why I think people are going to win. Here's the premise of the show. They take various soldiers and warriors from history. And then they do a simulation and pit them against each other to see which one would win. Like, um, 
they had uh, uh, what was it, uh, Ninja versus Spartan, and then they pitted a pirate versus a knight, and the mafia, the Italian mafia versus the Yakuza, and the Green Berets against the Spetsnaz of the Russians. You know that kind of thing. And then they they take the various weapons from both sides and they calculate them and they run them through a program and then they spit out and they have this this cool you know acting thing at the end where they actually act out the in, results of what the uh, scientific discussion was what it came out to. It's like hardcore MythBusters, but not for nerds for guys who like you know you know action movies. Let me find Deadly Warrior season two. Let me pull pull this up here. All right, they had an hour and a half uh, season premiere type thing. It was like a special from last season where they took two of the ancient winners and two of the modern winners, and they pit them against each other. So the first one was Spartan versus Samurai. On the surface, you think that Samurai would win. It's got steel weapons versus a Spartan who's in the Bronze Age. But surprisingly, happily enough, the Spartan beat the Samurai. And in the modern warfare, the modern era, they pitted the Spetsnaz against the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, because the IRA had beaten the Taliban in last season's matchup. And it was kind of a foregone conclusion. I mean, you're basically talking about, you know, volunteers against, you know, the hardcore elite. So Spetsnaz won that one. And then season two started, and it's uh, the first episode was SWAT versus the German GSG-9. If anybody has ever played Counter-Strike, you know exactly of which I just told you. They are uh, elite counterterrorism police forces. And SWAT won that uh, in a little bit of a, a, little bit of a, uh, a squeaker. And they run, basically they take... All the information, they run 1,000 simulations what would happen in a fight between the two. And then they give the results. And then the rest of the lineup for the rest of the season is as this. Next week is Attila the Hun versus Alexander the Great. So they'll take both these guys, they'll take all the weapons they would have used, and then they'll pit them against each other using scientific tests. They'll chop up some pigs, and they'll you know shoot a gel torso, and they'll figure out which is better. Okay, I'm going to pick Alexander the Great. And we're going to, you know what? We'll compare these at the end of the season and see how well I did. Kind of like with the VGAs, which I, I steamrolled because that was that damn good. Okay, Alexander the Great should win this you know, in a steamroll. Mainly because, one, he's Alexander the friggin' Great. And the second thing is, Attila the Hun was a dwarf. That's right, the Scourge of God who sacked Rome, or damn near, was a dwarf. He's like four foot three or something like that. Now... This ain't Lord of the Rings. This isn't World of Warcraft, where a three-foot midget with a beard as a dwarf came around a giant battle axe can take on a dragon. This is real life. Until the Hun is not going to win. I'm just saying. People are saying, Attila wins, Attila wins. Screw that. Emp versus all. I think that's a foregone conclusion. I would win. Racism? Andre, it's a little early in the show to be crying racism. I don't know that I've gotten that far yet. Uh... Peanut Gallery and, and Ventrilo. Did I say anything about racism yet? I don't think I had that until the second hour. He's a homo. Yeah, I know he was a homo. So what? Arusama, silent but dead, deadly. S-I-L-A-N-T-I-W-E for the future of humanity. Seriously, I do. <laughs> God help us all. All right, the next matchup is Jesse James versus Al Capone. Jesse James was an outlaw back in the uh, late 1800s in the United States. A uh, cowboy outlaw. Al Capone, most of us should know, he was a big-time Italian gangster who ruled uh, the south side of Chicago out of Cicero. Okay, Al Capone had, was a friggin', you know, a-hole who used knives, a baseball bat, and a Tommy gun. Versus Jesse James, who was cool riding a horse, and he had a six-shooter. Al Capone in a, in a uh, runaway. Next is the Nazi SS versus the Viet Cong. 
Yeah, I'd like to see that in a video game. Because they do have a video game coming with all the matchups from Season 1. You can play it yourself. Kind of like It looks kind of like a Street Fighter type game or a, a Virtual Fighter type format, Soul Calibur. It looks kind of interesting. I think it's going to be a free download. We'll have to take a look. Nazi SS versus the Viet Cong. All right, Nazi, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Nazi SS for obvious reasons. If you get Kong, you, you're hiding in a jungle, dude. Against going against probably the most evil people ever to walk the face of the earth. Next, you have the Aztec Jaguars versus the Zandi Warriors. Now, I'm gonna take the Aztec Jaguars one because they're from North America, uh, and everything I've ever read or seen about them is they were particularly nasty and very very motivated. I can per- personally say I don't know who the Zandi Warriors are. Of I believe they're from Africa. Couldn't tell you a thing about them. So I'm going to go with the Aztecs. This is, the next one's one of the more intriguing matchups, I think, is the Roman Centurion versus a Rajput Warrior. This one's a toss-up to me. The Romans, Romans were pretty much, they were, they were excellent in formations. I mean, they were very team-oriented. Kind of like, oh, I don't know, a two-on-two in StarCraft, as opposed to one-on-one matchups. Well, Rome didn't conquer the world going one-on-one, you know, with their soldiers, DJ. They won as a team. Considering you come from Clan Imperial Card, you'd think you'd realize that. Ratchet Warriors, on their hand, were much more individualistic. You know, kind of like Samurai. They fought individually, kind of like a group. So that's a toss-up. I'm going to go with Rome, only because I'm a little more familiar with them, but that's a toss-up. Then they had the Somalia Pirates versus the Medellin Drug Cartel. I don't give a damn about either one of these, so I'm going to say Drug Cartel. Next is the Persian Immortals versus the Celts. All right. I'll make it real simple for those of you who watch a lot of movies and probably don't understand. The Persian Immortals are the ones in 300 that uh, have the face masks and the dual swords. Now, that isn't how they actually fought and look like in real life, but to give you an idea. As for the Celts, for those who don't know, think um, Braveheart. Those were Celts, Scottish and the Irish. So, them against them. I picked the Celts. KJB versus CIA. It's a toss-up. They're pretty much equal. Vlad the Impaler versus Sun Tzu. Ooh. Interesting. A bloodthirsty Catholic warlord who spent his life fighting the Turks or one of the greatest masterminds in military history. Mm. Sun Tzu was a badass warrior, though. I'll go with him. Ming Warrior, also from China, versus a Musketeer. Now, this is the Musketeers from the book series. The Three Musketeers from France, they have a pistol, they wave a sword. I'm going to go, I was thinking Ming Warrior, because they're using a bow and they got a, a, a spear and all that. I'm going to go with the Musketeer. I'm going to change my pick on the on the website. I'm going to go with Musketeer. Alright, last two. We got the Comanches versus the Mongols. The Comanches are one of the Plains Indians here in North America, United States. Uh, they were one of the more highly more motivated, one of the more nasty uh, Indian tribes in, in North America. The Comanches, the, uh, let's see, the Tomahawks, the Sioux. Um, I'm missing, a, I'm missing, I know I'm missing a couple here of really nasty ones. The Apache, all, all highly militaristic tribes versus the Mongols. I'm going to go with Comanche. North American pride and nothing else, but I think one-on-one, the Comanche is much better than the Mongol. For the same reason, the Mongols were very good like the Romans. They fought as a group. You know, there's a story when the Mongols invaded Japan a couple times, and the first time they landed, they didn't know what they were doing, so they would get picked up into individual fights against the Japanese samurai on the beach. So they'd go up, and they'd fight the samurai one-on-one, and the samurai beat their ass like a drum each and friggin' time. 
And after a couple days of, of getting, you know, of, of several hundred duels and just losing almost all of them, they finally realized, somebody in the Mongol army finally realized, say, wait a minute, there's 50,000 of us. We're Everybody has a bow and arrow and we're all riding horses. Why the hell are we dueling with a bunch of Japanese? And they started fighting as an army and they started winning. Food for thought. And finally, and this one's a toss up and there may be some debate. Are the Navy SEALs, the United States Navy SEALs, against the Israeli commandos? Ooh. See, people are already putting down their uh, Catholic and Orthodox and blurring your history. Don't tell me Vlad the Imperial with Orthodox. Jesus Christ. Don't. You read your history. Anyways, Navy SEALs versus the Israeli commandos. Ooh, I don't know. Then again, we kind of trained them, so. I'm going to go with the Navy SEALs. So that's the deadliest warrior uh, on Spike TV here. If you guys don't get this, and I, I don't know if it airs elsewhere in the world. I know obviously it airs here in the United States on Spike TV. I highly recommend and suggest. This is the same network that runs the VGAs, the Video Game Awards. I highly recommend that you go watch it on uh, on Hulu or YouTube or wherever they've got it. In fact, you, I think you can go to Spike.tv or SpikeTV.com or whatever it is and watch it there. And there's a big discussion board. I don't talk about it on the forums. Uh, the show in and of itself is, is kind of brought down to, I mean, they make it so that anybody can really understand what's going on. And the entire idea is to engender discussion. They want people, you know, bitching and complaining and screaming. I know uh, when Desperado and I, Desperado Clan Pure Guard, would debate this, uh, last year the Apache beat a Roman gladiator and he's thrown a fit. And that's the point. And that's the point of a lot of things, folks. When you get into controversy, and this goes with anything, anytime you hear any of these these news organizations going after video game companies, like we were talking about uh, last week with the rape simulator that was brought up in the Belfast News, you know, that CNN covered a year ago. You have to understand, a lot of this controversy is done simply for that fact, to get people talking. Deadly Warrior is no different. You don't necessarily have to agree with their with the, uh, the results they come up with, and I don't a lot of the time. That's kind of funny. God versus Chuck Norris. This one from Zarek. Miami says they are of the same person. <laughs> okay, Jesus Christ versus God. Ooh, no, there's a conundrum. Wait, what? There's a lot of verses going on here. Mao Tse Song versus Lenin? I think that'd be mutual destruction. There wouldn't be anybody left of anything. Manly Stuff says Mongols hand down over the Comanches. Zarek says bloodlusting Indians. Uh, people are saying in the Impaler. Some are saying Sun Tzu. See, right now, right here in IRC, in, VT, in the uh, VTW forums, or uh, IRC, irc.quicknet.org, and channel VTW. Right now, they're already discussing. Let's talk back and forth. They're arguing over who would win what. Zurich saying father versus son. Well, technically, if you listen to the Trinity, they're all the same person. M versus Highlander. I think Highlander would be the first one to admit that I would beat his ass like it was my job. Higher land. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> it's not the size of the dog in the fight. Imp, it's the size of the fight in the dog. This is from Lou. You know what? They used to put that on the stupid t-shirts they gave us at the beginning of every football season. I hate that comment. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Really, I tell you what, I'll bring my pit bull to a fight, and you can bring your chihuahua. And my pit bull isn't afraid of any animals. And it really fights. And we'll see about the size of the fight in your dog. 
It's like us going into war with Luxembourg. It's the size of the fight and the dog. I'm guessing that Luxembourg would still get their ass kicked. No offense to Luxembourg. I'm sure they're nice people. He would use the quickening against them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's an interesting one there, Andre, but I think that one was won a long time ago, actually. That, that's a foregone conclusion. That place is a freaking ghost town. I actually went there last week. I was reading the uh, the fan fiction. The Napoleon versus Takugawa? I, I don't think Takugawa was much of a military genius. I don't think he was near as good as Nobunaga. I think Toyotomi was better than both of them, to be honest. I think Takagawa had a lot more patience, and I think he was very politically adept. I wouldn't say that he was necessarily a military guy. I think Napoleon would beat him on both uh, the politics and in, in military uh, war. Hitler versus Chaplin. Cleveland Browns versus Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, that's a good one. How about Ohio State versus Michigan Wolverines? <laughs> but you know what it really comes down to is it's a, it's a this or that, which is kind of what we do here in the show. You know, take a couple games and just go at it. The Mac versus the iPad? How about a laptop versus an iPad? But except the, the premise of the show is that they actually give you scientific, or at least give you pseudo-scientific uh, background as to why that is. But there's something that I don't like about it, and here's this. And it's the same thing when you're trying to compare games or anything else. Um, in the IRA versus Spetsons episode that they had, and I, I know we're kind of staying on this topic, but it's interesting to me, and... I feel like crap. I'm in a hell of a lot of pain. For those of you who are not, who are just tuning in late, I'm not feeling the best. I'm actually very under the weather. I'm in a lot of pain, so I actually, I may actually cut this show, this show short, by a little bit. Um, so I'm going to go with this topic because I find it interesting. There's no one else here to help me carry the conversation. Having said that, uh, in the Spetses versus the IRA, they had an actual old, you know, an, uh, not old, but a former operative, a former Spetsnaz guy. And this dude is, you know, hardcore, hard-ass. I would not want to meet this guy in any stage of life anywhere in the world because he's that kind of a guy. And then they have Scotty Collins, who's the nephew of Michael Collins, the founder of the IRA. He's a historian. He's not a soldier. He's not an IRA member that I'm aware of. And they have him testing some of the weapons, trying to do a sniper shooting, you know, shooting an Armalite. And the skill difference between the two is amazing. And that's, you know, no knock on Collins. He actually did pretty damn well, I thought. The point being, it's hard to take all these factors into consideration, especially when it comes to weaponry, when in fact the person you have going is not as trained a soldier as the person he's competing against. So, you know. Or Osama says, when we're talking about M versus Highlander, are we talking about 1G Highlander or Connor McLeod? <laughs> Irish versus Scottish. I think we know who'd win that fight. StarCraft 1 or StarCraft 2? I, I gotta admit, I'm finding StarCraft 2 much more enjoyable. It's been kind of a pain in the ass, though, the last couple nights because the uh, battle has been so uh, unstable. I spent a good 10 minutes last night downloading a patch, Octail or Hordak. Uh, the World. I'll vote for Doc Dead. How about that? The problem with StarCraft 2 last the last couple of nights is um, they've put in a new patch that has a lot of the new Battle.net features in it. And the issue that we were having with it was that there's a glitch in the way that it patches. And it keeps reloading the patch and reloading the patch and reloading the patch, and it's really annoying. I mean, in fact, I'm going to bring it up right now and see if I can get it going here. 
but it released all this kind of cool stuff right we're at the patch in fact let me read off some of the editor's notes here i'm gonna go ahead and block to see if they actually got this fixed yes they did all right they got it. oh that was fast i was gonna read the patch notes but apparently the new galaxy editor is out i'm actually loading up the game now how many people would actually like to watch me play a game oh i see they changed the load screen a little bit Trust me, I'm in no condition right now to play a game. Of any kind. We're going to go ahead and connect. Now, I just got Platinum level again for the third time because they reset the ladder. Which I'm cool with. I get that. You kind of have to. It's a beta. GameStop is now selling or giving out beta keys. Every time you pre-order a game, they'll give you a beta key. So if you want to get on the StarCraft 2 beta and you haven't, go get pre-order at, at, at GameStop, I guess. And they'll give you one. I'm trying to log in right now. I'm stuck at the login screen, so apparently it's not going to let me. They're still having issues. Anyways, the battle at reset, and the issue they were having was, one, the patches weren't going in correctly. The problem they had prior to that that they were trying to fix was that it wasn't showing your information correctly. It wasn't showing your record correctly. It wasn't showing your portrait correctly, etc. Because Desperado and I went on, and we won seven games in a row, including one, the very first game, we were down. His base was destroyed about a third of the way through the game, and then he gets disconnected towards the last quarter of the game, last third of the game. So I had to overtake his army and, and run it myself. So I'm basically fighting two-on-one, and I'm fighting uh, as uh, Protoss against two Zerg, who are throwing everything and the kitchen sink at me. I'm talking Mutalisks, I'm talking Hydralisks, uh, Mass um, uh, Speedlings. They didn't use Banelings, thank God. I was able to counter all of it and throw him back. I destroyed one guy, and then I started to destroy the second one. We won that game, even after Desperado dropped because he got disconnected because Battle.net hiccuped. Do you think we got credit for that win? No. Uh, we didn't. So then we played another six games straight. We won six in a row. You only need five to be uh, placed in a ladder. Five. Yeah, DJ did the same thing. He said, I fixed the login screen by opening up the firewall. I did the same thing, but it, it shouldn't do that. It keeps prompting me, and I don't know why. Anyways, we played seven games. We won six in a row. It did not place us. It kept on saying we had one left to go. We fought the last one for an hour and 18 minutes, and we lost it in the end. And wouldn't you know it, Battle.net decided to go ahead and count that game. So we went 6-1. and one. It only recorded us at 4-1. and one, And we got put in the Gold League. The rest of the scrubs. And that's one that I've noticed is now that uh, the beta's been opened up to pretty much everybody. Since you can just you know throw down your money and pre-order the game. There's a lot of crappy players out there. There's a lot of noobs coming in. I love it. You are feeding me wins. That's one of the cool things, too. When this game launches in June, I am going to kick so much ass. I'm going to feel like a stud for like the first month until everybody figures out what they're doing. And then it's going to suck and it's going to get hard. <laughs> but the new edit, uh, the new editor is out. Here's the, uh, the patch. I believe this is patch 9. Let me read some of the fixes. All right. StarCraft editor is now available. Players will now be able to... <clears throat> Let's try that again. <clears throat> Okay. The StarCraft 2 editor is now available. Players will now be able to begin creating trigger maps in preparation for map publishing, which will be made available in an upcoming beta patch. What they are telling you is that you're going to pay extra money to download those custom maps. FYI. 
Achievements and decals are now live. Players will now be able to earn achievements, browse the list of available achievements, and view achievements earned by friends. Because we all know your EPIN grows or shrinks based on the amount of irrelevant achievements you get in the game. I just got a cool one last night playing Napoleon Total War with Mecha Hawk and Buck Wild. And it was a one given to me for inflicting 100,000 casualties in my games. Go me. Sadly, I was wiped out to a man. But I held and bled two other armies white so that Buckwild could finish off the victory. It was worth it. The updated homepage nobody cares about. A new match history page is now available which will allow players to browse and filter their last 1,000 games played. There's a new community page up. It works like an RSS feed. A new Friends of Friends feature has been added. That way, lift it off of X-Fire, which allows players to easily find and connect with more real-life friends on Battle.net through existing friends. You know, rather than just opening up a chat room and allowing us to do it that way like we've done since time immemorial. Uh, there's been improvements to the voice chat, which nobody uses because everybody uses Ventrilo, like UGT Ventrilos. The score screen now features a new graph tab. The art for many parts of the user interface has been updated. Hotkey templates have been added. There's a new uh, preset, too, by the way, uh, which is kind of interesting for StarCraft. And they're taking feedback on this, where there's several presets for, um, like, a left-handed player, a right-handed player, your normal preset, so you can redo your hotkeys, essentially. And speaking of which, and they redo the hotkeys, there are certain you know buttons now or certain letters that you know, go with one thing or another. And then there's the balance changes, which to me are pretty much irrelevant. Concussion missiles are now, uh, the cost is decreased as well as the time to research them. The Protoss Immortal, which is that giant uh, uh, walker, it's not the giant thing, it's one of the walkers like you see in Star Wars, you know, the shield that attacks Jedi, that thing, has an increase in build time, which is pretty much offset by the chrono boost you get. Zerg Infested Terran, damage increase of 5 to 8, which is garbage because nobody uses the Infested Terran. Queen, uh, basically, it doesn't go very fast when it's not on the creep. Spine crawlers, uh, their attack period decreased from you know this to this. Nobody cares. The infester, which nobody uses, and then it goes on to say they added a bunch more maps. So, kind of a big patch, but it's good to finally see some changes being added to Battle.net itself. And that's the one thing that's been kind of lagging behind. It's the one thing I have more questions about. The balance will come out, you know, in the wash. I think they have a pretty good idea as to how the balance is going to work based on the first game, anyways. I'm more interested in what they're going to do with Battlelight and specifically with the chat rooms. And I, I, it's looking like they're going to stick to their guns on this. There's not going to be any chat rooms, which I think is a big mistake. I think if you want to find one way to curtail your community, that's the way to do it. And don't hand me some crap that, oh no, it's going to foster community. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're lying to yourself that you think that's going to happen. Or as Sama says, Emp needs some way to stro stroke his ego right now. They should have an Emperor Ego Stroke achievement. Anytime you get the Flight Emperor online, you get an achievement. Not that. Now I'm not a pub stomper. I play the ladder, dork. DJ, give me crap. This is coming from the one Imperial Guard that you know plays a lot of StarCraft, but can't be bothered to come out of Ventrilo and talk with the rest of us. Not that we can understand his mush mouth talk anyways. So, I uh, see the crown princess has walked in. No, my dear, Adam is not here tonight. He's at a wake for, he's at a funeral. 
I believe his great aunt died or some such. So, our condolences to him. So. Anyway, right, ladies and gentlemen, that's actually a kind of a good point. I need a break. I'm talking for an hour now. So, I'm going to kick over to music. I'm going to be back here in about uh, seven or eight minutes. We're probably going to go to about... You know, 7.30, 7.45. I know the show normally goes to 9 o'clock, but trust me when I tell you, I am really not in condition to go all three hours by myself. So, ladies and gentlemen, you kick over to break here, and we'll be back in about 10 minutes. Island was swarming like a scene from a costume ball, decked out in the colors of Europe, on fire with the hope of it all. There, my father's own father stood huddled with the tired and hungry and scared. Turn of the century pilgrims. Bound by the dream that they shared Sometimes when I look in my grandfather's emigrant eyes I see that day reflected And I can't hold my feelings inside I see starting with nothing And working hard all of his life So don't take it for granted, say grandfather's emigrant eyes They were standing in lines just like cattle Poked and sorted and shoved Some were one desk away from sweet freedom Some were torn from someone they loved Through the swarming tower of Babel Came a young man confused and alone Determined and bound for America Carrying everything that he owned Sometimes when I look in my grandfather's emigrant eyes I see that day reflected And I can't hold my feelings inside I see starting with nothing And working hard all of his life So don't take it for granted Say grandfather's emigrant eyes Now he rocks and he stares out the window But his eyes are still just as clear As the day he sailed through the harbour To come ashore on this island of tears My grandfather's days, they are numbered But I won't let his memory die For he gave me the gift of this country And the look in his emigrant eyes Sometimes when I look in my grandfather's emigrant eyes 
see that day reflected And I can't hold my feelings inside I see starting with nothing And working hard all of his life So don't take it for granted Say grandfather's emigrant eyes So don't take it for granted Say grandfather's emigrant eyes Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together Mass hysteria! Tale. I am Hordak. You are the world. And we are versus you. But if you were with us... You know, hypothetically. Strictly hypothetically, we'd be talking on a UGT Ventrilo server. That's right, UGT Ventrilo servers. The Ventrilo server provider that we trusted when we stood up our guild versus the world 18 months ago. That's right, UGT servers have a robust feature set including guild pay, multi-platform support, and term discounts. So the next time you're looking to put together a clan team, or guild, think of UGT Ventrilo Servers at UGTServers.com.
warning. This show is intended for a mature audience only and may contain harsh language, trans fats, live nudes, and derogatory comments about your mother. Those who are easily offended or have no sense of humor are encouraged to turn off the show now. Parental discretion is advised. Listening to the Emperor's Court here on BTW Productions. Get down on your knees. I know I would. Tell me that's not a hot intro. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back here to the Emperor's Court on First World Productions, VTWProductions.com. You are listening to the Emperor on the Emperor's Court. Wow. Original idea, right? Again, for those tuning in, Heiler is not with us this evening. He is uh, attending to family business. Looking at uh, a couple of things we have to do. We know we haven't done the mail bag in, another, in about two weeks. Uh, apparently, Facebook is back up, ladies and gentlemen. For those who want to... Uh, hang on. Make sure I actually... Turn, okay. Make sure we're tanned that off so there's no uh, echo. Yeah, uh, Facebook's back up, ladies and gentlemen. So if you want to go ahead and, and add us on Facebook, I highly encourage you to do so. Search The Emperor's Court. Should be able to find. Uh, you'll find both that and the fan page. Add us both. You can also add us on Twitter, which is twitter.com backslash Emperor's Court. Okay, uh, let's hit the mailbag. Because we haven't actually done this now in some time, so it wouldn't be a bad idea to get to. All right. Uh, a couple topics actually last week caught the interest of several of you who took the time to go ahead and write in. Uh, am I in the right one here? No, I believe I'm in a different one. Yes, I am. Wow, that's kind of weird. I have two different emails stood up. I thought I only had the one. Folks, if you ever want to email the show or myself, it's emperor1g at cox.net, People are asking, is there going to be a quickening tonight? No, there is not. I don't have the quickening. I don't do it. That's uh, that's a Highlander thing, not, uh, not a my thing. All right, this one, I don't know if I got to it from... Okay, it... That one doesn't make a damn bit of sense. Never mind. I just got that one in here. I thought I'd read it, but no, we're not going to. All right. This one is sent in from uh, JP. And Jim Park wants to... Uh, uh, this A lot of email came in about the topic of the rape simulation game we discussed in last week's show. Hello, Wimp. I wish to touch on the topic of rape lay, which is the name of the simulator you had in episode 10. While I'm totally against the act of rape, it is confusing why there is such a huge backlash compared to murder against the act when it is shown on a video game. While I do not and will not judge on which crime is larger, most countries have a heavier penalty for killing someone rather than raping someone. If this is translated to games, however, murder is fine, but rape is not. Is it because we as gamers still view the act of murder as doom with better graphics? Killing innocent civilians has been a part of many games. Grand Theft Auto, Counter-Strike, Call of Duty, Fallout, Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter Nights, the list goes on and on. Look at the Hitman series where you plan a murder for your benefit. While an outrage over a game that simulates a horrible crime is predictable, I find the selectivity of the crime and the outrage to be confusing and pattern to the headline media crowd. I also will say to those, someone please think of the children crowd that a five-minute evening news on TV will show the kid that there is rape and murder in the world. You can't fix or patch or code out bad parenting. Love the show, JP. He brings up an interesting point, and I guess there, a bit of, there is a bit of hypocrisy in this. Wow, it's been three weeks? No, it's been two weeks. It hasn't been three weeks since we did the mailbag. But it brings up an interesting point. Murder versus rape, which one's worse, and why is it that one is considered so much, is considered so much worse than, say, murder? And I think GP actually hits on a point. 
in most games that we play these days, first-person shooters specifically, the act of running around with guns and shooting other people and actually having a battle and doing kind of violence is pretty much, you know, run-of-the-mill. It's old hat. Whereas raping somebody is a completely different thing. We don't normally see that, and when we do, it's, it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction to hate it. Now, neither is good, but you have to take it in context as well. Keep in mind, when you're playing Call of Duty, you're actually fighting in a war zone. All right, you have to you have to consider that people are going to die. You're in the middle of fighting somebody. Okay, when you're playing Baldur's Gate or you're playing World of Warcraft or you're playing whatever, you're in a combat zone. You're walking into that knowing that you're going to be you know engaging in violence, whether it's and we're talking in, in the realm of a game. Okay, Mister Jingles wants to know: Does Highlander still want the answers for the reverse quickening? Yes. Send the reverse quickening questions to Highlander One G at Gmail dot com. Yes. Um, so you have to take it in context, all right? Most of these games that have violence going on or, you know, are overly graphic when it comes to that is because you're actually fighting in a game against people of a like mind. However, a game like Rayplay, which is built around the entire premise of walking into somebody, raping the mother, then raping the two underage children, then convincing one of them to get an abortion serves no other purpose. There's no competition involved. There's no challenge here. You don't get an achievement for raping 10 underage kids or having forcing 20 abortions. You don't get, like, the golden, uh, uh, you know, clothes hanger award. Ew. There's a significant difference. Rape is a heinous crime. Both of these are. However, one is, is A, in the spirit of competition, and B, Again, happens in a, a zone of conflict. The rape does not. And we have no context for it because it's so out of the ordinary. It's so deviant. And maybe it is hypocritical. But you know what? Then in this case, I guess... What's going on, Little Rex? I guess I'm a hypocrite when it comes to that. Because I, I will not stand for it. I don't care if you want to play Quake 40 Hearts Content. I don't give a damn if you're going to take off three days from work so you can play the Halo Reach beta legal tender <laughs> and play a game of violence i do have a problem when you start playing games based on rape and forced abortion i guess there's something much more heinous about doing that see this is the problem okay we're gonna stop right here in, in midstream because little rex you are the premier example of my point he walked in just now into the irc and says did the show just start no it started at six o'clock and I was commenting on off the air in Ventrilo uh, when the show was on break that we're going to have a flood of people coming in here. And I, I'm watching the numbers steadily climb over the last 15 minutes while people are just steamrolling or just you know flooding in here because they're trying to remember or tr- believing that the show starts at 7, 7.30 because Shoutcraft aired prior to this for the last month and a half. And it's going to take a couple of weeks for people to find out and get back on track. The show is now back to its 6 to 9 p.m. time slot. So for all of you who are just coming in who do not know, Highlander is not here. He's taking care of a family. He had to go to a wake, so he's taking care of a family matter. Our condolences to him. He will be back next week. And the show is back to 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. So I don't know, none left, why you're using the stream. Why you can't just hear me through a ventrilo? Uh, all right, or vice versa. Okay. I wouldn't... Okay. Well, apparently he's having trouble on ventrilo, I guess. So, no, I mean, don't be sorry, Little Rex. That's, I, I told everybody this, and I'm looking at people just coming in IRC now. There's one after another after another. I'm sorry. I figured that was going to happen because people aren't used to the time change. 
and they had less than a week to get used to it. And like I said, I couldn't get on Facebook because Facebook was down. I couldn't get on uh, the VTW forums, the front page, because I can't access at work, you know, what have you. So there's that. But uh, in answer to the question, uh, yeah, I understand your point, JP, and I agree with it. That that at least from a uh, punishment standpoint, obviously murder is much worse than rape, and yet somehow that gets through. So, all right, this one being signed by Holly Berry, uh, and again, this is also on the same topic. Uh, you might know me from such works as That Thing You Never Read and Oh My Gosh, Who Are You? Yeah, that's true. I have no idea who, they, I, I know who you are. Yes. I said this on the IRC channel, but I know these things are very easily overlooked, particularly during a show. But when you talked about the rape game affecting and maybe influencing others to do these acts, while the game itself isn't something I'd play, I think I have a defense along these lines. Let's say instead of rape, it's violence. Eight million people play Knife Fights Extreme. Most people playing it aren't affected either way. But let's say for 50,000 people, playing the game is an outlet keeps them from really stabbing people either on a really bad day like when they find out their girlfriend is cheating on them or cursed as a regular uh, outlet for someone or use a regular outlet for someone. Yet 10,000 people are influenced to go stab people. If you weigh the sheer amount of stabbings, obviously the game is more a force for good. Right, well, the problem here, Holly Berry, is you're just picking numbers out of the air. There, there's nothing to substantiate anything like this or making the example that you are. So I, I have a problem with that first. Second, I don't know that this necessarily doesn't give somebody the access to rape. Uh, look, in the mind of somebody who's going to who's going to perpetrate a crime, it may be, well, you know what, rape isn't as bad as murder because they're not actually dying, and it's not actually they're going to be hurt permanently, right? You have a bunch of you know horny teenagers or teenage boys that are playing a rape game, and all of a sudden, there you go, it leads one thing to another. Yes, I'm taking that to extremes, but you'll. I think some of you will get the, the point I'm making. Anyways, moving on. These are obviously just made-up numbers, and I think approving it either way would be hard, all but impossible, which is what I just said. And if it's all but impossible, I understand why you're making the argument. Since there are gray areas like the person whose girlfriend cheated on him, that would be all but impossible to prove. Yet unless you can con concretely say this uh, this is only or, ma or majorly a force for bad, is it fair to take away what good can come from it? Now let me paraphrase here. Holly Berry is saying that rape simulating games can provide a service, can provide a good. Let's continue. Wouldn't at that point, if you say hypothetically it could corrupt someone, then wouldn't it be just as bad if you were, it were to ban to say it could be theo theoretically help someone? I, I don't understand why. Kind of gets gobbled googly in there. Uh, and you took the option away. Mr. Anger Management might feel too prideful to get real help, but he's not too prideful to play a game. Oh, here we go. Sorry, this is so text wally, but it's an idea that has to be fleshed out, I believe. All right, I think I understand where you're coming from. You're you're trying to say that playing a rape simulator would prevent people from actually committing rape. I think is the point you're making. And that somebody who wouldn't necessarily go to anger management to stop from beating and raping women would be willing to play a game to learn the exact same lesson. See, I'm trying to avoid sounding like a real dick because there there are so many ways to attack that. Um, I don't believe there's any good that comes from a game like this. I don't think you could ever quantify any kind of positive coming from a game like this. 
I have bad days at work. I have long days at work. I think we all do. Does it help the blow-off team to come home and play a game? Yeah, it does. Now, does that mean if I don't play Quake, or if I come home and I don't play Team Fortress that night, or for several nights in a row, or a week, or a month, that all of a sudden, one day, I'm going to burst and just start shooting up the place? Absolutely not. Now, if I really want to get my hands on a woman, and I haven't for a while, and I haven't for a while, and I play that rape simulator game, that'll give me an outlet, but if I don't play it, then that leads to rape? Little Rex says he wants to make an audio response to this topic. Absolutely. I take audio response. If you don't want to type anything, you want to record something to play on the air, absolutely send it in. Emperor1gacox.net. Make sure it's in an MP3 format. Make sure it's no longer than uh, three minutes, though. Absolutely. Go ahead and send it in. No, I, I don't think there's any way you can quantify or try to defend that topic. I understand where you're trying to go with it, but I don't think that there's any legs to get you there. Aroko saying, let's learn self-control. It's not just learning self-control. I think it's an inane ability of knowing right versus wrong. You know, trying to say, uh, you know, prior to video games, you didn't have psychiatrists and psychologists who were working with, you know, men who had anger problems or rape problems saying, you go rape your pillow at home to take out your aggravation. That way you don't go rape women. You know, go rape a donkey instead or go rape a, a cow. That way no one's getting hurt. No, no. Prostitution probably better than rape lay, though rape lay cheaper, says Unleft. The thing with it is, it's not, and it's my understanding that rape isn't about the sex, it's about the power. It's about the fact that you can dominate someone else's completely in, in your control. And it's pretty much, they have to do what, you know, whatever you want, you force them to do it. That's what it's really about. So I don't think it's about laying down 20 bucks and getting a hooker for the night. I don't think that's the issue. So I, I disagree with the where you were going with that, Holly Berry. I understand your point, but uh, no. All right. Uh, this one comes in from Mr. Gussie. Blizzard's new promotion. I don't know if you've seen this, uh, and, but they are giving away StarCraft 2 beta, beta keys on Facebook. Yeah, I heard. This was last week. Now, how are they going to do this is what I'm complaining about. They're posting one picture of 20 keys at a time. There are close to 80,000 fans on their Facebook. When they post a 15-minute warning, there's over 150 posts on the status from the first minute. The keys are gone within five seconds of being posted. What bugs me, I believe, is the only way I'm going to be able to play the beta. I guess my computer sucks too much to get the opt-in. What do you think of this? Do you think it's a better way for them to keep doing this? Okay. John, you have to look at it this way. Blizzard didn't have you sign up on their Facebook to become a fan, their, their fan page on Facebook, to give you a beta key. They don't give a damn that you got a beta key. They don't care that anybody got a beta key off of that. For those who don't know, Blizzard decided to give away um, a bunch of keys. I forget how many beta keys they actually gave away on Facebook. Basically, they would throw up a key, and then they would rotate it out every few seconds. I think it's like for a minute. And then whoever could copy down that key, copy and paste it into their account first, anywhere in the world, got that beta key. And then after a minute, they'd post a new one. It was basically, it was a rush to copy, paste, to see who could get it first. Look, that was not the point of this. They weren't trying to get more people into the game. They weren't trying for people to help try to figure out bugs and balance issues and try the new voice you know, features. They don't care. They wanted a lot of people to sign up for their Facebook, and it worked. 
Now, I question how many people are actually going to go back to that Facebook after this giveaway, but that was the entire intent and purpose. Is there a better way of giving out keys? Absolutely. It's called the opt-in. This was a way to solely to get people to sign up on their Facebook. It's a gimmick, just like anything else. Just like, oh, I don't know, giving away 10 beta keys during some show because no one else will watch or listen to it. Week after week after week after week after week. If you want to give away one or two now and again, it's kind of a a thank you to fans, kind of a, a promotional thing. Yeah, that's cool. When you're doing it week after week after week after week after week because no one will pay attention to you, uh, then you have to, there's a bigger problem at hand that you have to deal with. In this case, Blizzard was doing this before the publicity. They weren't trying to actually get people into the beta. They didn't care. That wasn't the point. So. Uh, this one also from Hollyberry on a different topic, or a different subject, uh, a different topic of the same subject, I should say. When you brought up, this is rape, by the way, the rape game. When you brought up whether a rape game could be considered art, I thought of something. Take any crucifixion picture. They depict someone being tortured, dehumanized, murdered violently, and set on display for the masses, which then do think about it as a very disgusting, deplorable act. The Passion of the Christ, the movie, uh, depicts it. Many of these are considered beautiful art, and it's something that on one level is very disgusting, and that's the act of its being depicting has no real value whatsoever. Instead of the crucifixion, why not just show Jesus rising or saving someone? How can this deplorable act be okay, but others not? Is that the fact that it's religious? Would religion then make everything okay? Or is it interactivity? The fact that you're interacting with these acts. The fact that you're interacting with these acts. Sorry, I just bumped my damn microphone. Let's swing that back here. I really got to go out and buy those extra stands. This is really getting annoying. I tried doing this on the cheap and it cost me ever since. <clears throat> then wouldn't any church teaching about the crucifixion mayhap with pictures be considered the same thing? Jesus died for our sins and this is a good thing. Couldn't you argue that you can make kids want to torch people and nail them to crosses? It's a bit of an extreme example, but I think a valid one. So again, Holly Berry here is trying to... Is comparing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to a rape-simulating game. Now, I understood where you're going with your first point of view, Holly Berry. This one, I think, is just way off the reservation. And I understand that I'm not preaching to anybody out there, because I know on the internet, the vast majority of you are are proclaimed atheists, which I highly doubt, but that's what you tell people because that's the cool thing to do. The reason why it's depicted in art, this being the crucifixion of Christ, is because you have to look at what one human being was willing to let be done to him in order to save everybody else. Whether you believe he's the Son of God or not, whether you believe we're actually saved by his actions is irrelevant. It's the fact that one man said... I know what's going to happen to me, and I don't care because it's going to, I'm going to let it happen for the greater good of everybody. Somehow, I don't think a rape simulator of any kind, or a rape of any kind, I don't think a woman says, I'm going to let this guy rape me because, you know what, it's going to, do, it's going to be better than for everybody else after the fact. It's the act of how she's saying she's a, I'm assuming it's a she, is an IRC saying an act of how Jesus was crucified versus the act of rape. I think most people could argue they're both disgusting. We'll look at it from a literal view. Well, at the same time, I could, 
you can't look at it from a little view. That's again, it's context. It's the same thing with murder versus rape in the previous example that was brought up by JP. You have to look in the context of it. Otherwise, you'd be seeing plenty of artwork of, of various people being crucified, just average everyday schmoes, just people in general. You wouldn't have, I mean, there'd be an entire genre of crucifixion artwork as opposed to just doing Christ. But you don't see that, do you? At least I'm not aware of it. I haven't remember ever walking to any art museums, and I've been in my fair share. To actually see anything that had to do with the crucifixion of Christ other than just him. I didn't see, you know, the crucifixion of uh, some chick or a kid or a guy or anything else other than that. Because it's the concept. It's the person in, in, in the example that you're talking about. One specific event and one specific person that to a lot of people changed the world. You're not going to convince me that somehow, even in a literal sense, a rape similar can be put on the same level as painting the crucifixion of Christ, whether that be in a game or a picture or artwork of any kind. And that has nothing to do with religion. That has everything to do with the context of it. And I take that back. You can't take one out of the other. Way off the reservation on that one. I think the majority of people would agree with me on that, too. I think you would have been better off to pick some other kind of artwork to express your point. That, however, did not help. Okay, Shrek's tell me that he's made an, uh, a wiki page. Um, he sent that along. Uh, I think none left can throw that up here in the IRC. There is now an Emperor-specific wiki page. I now have a spare beta key, a StarCraft II beta key. Well, what should I do? Oh, Grimhound, you missed it earlier. <laughs> it's not religion specifically. The person who was writing in was making an analogy. A very poor one, in my opinion. Her first one, I think, was much, much easier to get around. This one was not. Which, of course, begs the question, are games artwork? See how I segue from one topic to another, folks? That's professionalism right there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Earlier this week, famed movie critic Roger Debert, who, again, I'm not sure how many people outside of the United States know him. He's a very well-known critic here in the United States, a film critic has a blog that he's got on blogs.suntimes.com backslash ebert, E-B-E-R-T, where he goes on to wax politic about how video games will never be art of any kind, shape, or form. Not now, not ever, apparently. And he goes on to say that uh, he apparently heard a Talk of a TED talk given by USC at USC by Kelly Santiago, a designer and producer of video games, who apparently he liked her speech that he, she gave, and he actually posted on his blog. It's about 15 minutes long, so you can actually watch it if you wanted to hear what she's got to say. But he goes on to say that she is mistaken, and then he gives all these reasons as to why it will never be artwork. Essentially, what it comes down to is this. Ebert is saying that it cannot be artwork because it cannot appeal to a person. It doesn't move them. It doesn't speak to them. It doesn't, it doesn't translate. For instance, going back to our previous discussion, if I drew a picture of a person being crucified, just an, a person, pick anything, not Jesus specifically, just a, a normal person, would that have the same kind of impact on people as if I drew a picture of Jesus Christ being crucified? 
means two very different things. One is a guy being tortured. One is a guy being tortured for the salvation of the world, according to people who believe in that religion. Right? Okay. He is saying that video games as a whole, either in part or as a whole, do not speak to people. You can have a movie based on, say, Avatar. I mean, you can have a movie of Avatar. That's artwork. But the game Avatar would not be. Because it doesn't speak to people. It doesn't change people. It doesn't get you, it doesn't hit your soul and make you stop and think about it. It doesn't inspire you. And he goes on to say how Michelangelo would do that. Michelangelo's paintings, the Sistine Chapel, would inspire you in a way that no video game could. Maybe. That's possible. However, I would contest this. If your sole basis is how artwork affects somebody, then I think you're missing a part of the point. And I think Roger Ebert here is a little off, again, I hate to use the term, but off the reservation. His aim is high and to the right. All right? He's missing the strike zone. And here's why. Especially in today's day and age, if I showed you a picture of Michelangelo's David, if I showed a picture to, say, anybody under the age of 20, and I showed you a picture of the Mario Brothers, which one do you think people would recognize the most? If I showed you a picture of the inside of the Sistine Chapel, and I showed you a picture of, let's see, what's a good example? Say Cloud in front of the Shinra Tower from uh, Final Fantasy VII. For people under the age of, say, 30, how many people do you think would recognize one or the other? How many, how many people do you think would understand what one is? Here's another one. Maybe it's a better example. I'm assuming a lot of you guys have played Final Fantasy VII. Aroko says he's proud to say that he's 19 and he would spot Dave right off the bat. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Dakisha says Mist was inspiring. Yes, it was. Manly Stuff says the Sistine Chapel was rather underwhelming. Really? Grimhound knows exactly where I'm going with this. But I'm going to use an example anyways, because you can't read what he's saying. So I'm going to still use the surprise. If I showed you a movie, pick some, some second-rate, some B-list movie. Hell, even some A-list movies. Let's pick The Notebook. Or something where... Shut up, stranger. Something where you know the main character dies. And you don't see it coming. Does it make you sad? Probably. What if you were playing Final Fantasy VII? And you're going to rescue Eris or going to get her in the ancient city, the ancient temple. And the cutscene breaks in where Sephiroth comes out of, oh, I hope I'm not ruining this for everybody, comes flying out of the air and stabs her with a six-foot sword and kills her. You don't know what's coming. Shocks the hell out of you. It moved me emotionally. A lot more than most movies do. If that is your main point, Mr. Ebert, is that it moves you, it speaks to a person, it has soul, then I submit to you that in that particular case, Final Fantasy VII is art. 
What about the soundtrack that goes with it? I mean, there are movies out there that without the soundtrack would be garbage. I wouldn't care. It would not set the right mood, the right tone. And I don't know that you can separate the music apart. You, I mean, there are some songs out there in and of themselves, yes, that will move you emotionally or inspire you or pump you up. Before I went out to pitch a baseball game, there are certain songs that I would play that would get me fired up to go out and play. I still do that to this day, even though I only play softball now. But you have to put them together. You know, the death scene in a movie without the music probably doesn't set the right kind of tone, the right kind of mood. It's all-encompassing. What about the music of a game that goes along with what's being seen on screen? Or the writing of it that gets you to buy into the characters, to get, you know, to suspend your belief, to actually believe that these people are real and you understand where they're coming from or that you can start to empathize with them or you can somehow uh, identify with their their plights, their quests, their challenges, their pains, their elation, their joy. And Holly Berry uh, picks this up and this is where I'm going with it. And she says, I think in some ways games could actually move you more since you were able to interact with it in a way that you can't from a movie. And absolutely, that's the other part of it. You are in control of the events that you are watching. You are actually a part of it. If that is not artwork, I don't know what is. It is, it is doing something that a painting or, a, or a, you know, a symphony, music, or a movie cannot do. It is allowing you to determine and actually play along with the events unfolding in front of you. You are a part of the story. You are part of everything that's going on as much as anybody else. You're part of the characters you see on screen that have been painted, that have been drawn. You're a part of the music that's being played. You're a part of the story that's been written. All of those that Mr. Ebert goes on to put, composers, writers, painters, uh, performers, actors, all of that. Because it's a digital guy on screen, doesn't mean he's not acting. Doesn't mean he's not doing something. If somebody raises their hand, you know what he's doing. You know, if you see somebody shouting, you don't hear any voice, you see him getting red in the face on screen, you know he's shouting. You understand the emotion they're trying to convey. There's a significant difference. And I think part of it is an Asian generation gap. Mr. Ebert obviously is much, much older than the rest of us. And he grew up and had most of a professional career in a time where video games weren't around. And it's only, I'd say, in probably in the last five, six, seven years that video gaming has really gone mainstream, where it's everywhere now. You have games drawing out, over, outdrawing movies. And I, hell, I would submit to you that a lot of these games are movies in and of themselves. You have cutscenes. You have a storyline that's advancing. You have a beginning and you have an end. You have ones leading into sequels. There is acting going on. You have to suspend your belief to buy into what is happening on screen. Whether it's a game or a movie, it's the same thing. Am I saying Nobu Utomasu is the same as, as Beethoven? Or Mozart? No. But I'll tell you this. the younger generations would probably recognize and probably understand and be able to connect and identify and be moved more with some of the sounds that come out now as opposed to 
you know, Beethoven or Bach or Mozart or Wagner or Tchaikovsky. You can debate ad nauseum whether that's a good thing or bad. I'm not going to do that. I'm simply putting forth the theory that video games are indeed artwork. And unlike some things, it is, it is several genres, much like movies that come together. You have musicians, you have designers, you have artists, you have writers, all coming together, working in tandem to create something that people can enjoy and buy into. Now, does that mean every game will inspire you or move you or speak to you? Of course not. Not every painting does. Not every song does. Not every movie does. In fact, I'm willing to bet in your lifetime very, very few things will actually get you, grab hold of you and keep your attention. That, that intangible something that you don't really know what it is, but it's there and it grabs hold of you. A poem that, that just snaps in your mind. You're like, damn, that's good. I understand that. Or a novel, and you finally finish the last page, you're like, I hate the fact that this book is done and it's over with. Or a movie, and you see the ending or the characters, and you're like, I want to be like that. I understand where they're coming from. I'm going to get up and go do something. In your lifetime, there's probably one or two of those that will actually ever speak to you. That's just the way it is. Some may never do that. Gaming's no different. We wax nostalgic even now about the old games of the past, the ones we used to like the most. I brought up Final Fantasy VII a couple times now. That game spoke to me. Now, did it inspire me to go out and do anything? Well, not really. But I remember it. I remember all the sounds and go with and in my mind, every time I heard a, a different track play, I know exactly where that it happens in the game, what the characters are saying and doing, and what takes place. I don't think a person's work should be invalidated simply because you don't understand it. There are a lot of art, especially performance art, that I don't get and that I personally think should not be classified as art. I get that. That's my opinion. Now, because I don't get it, well, I should preface it, but I, I should let me go back and, and say that a little better. Because I don't get it doesn't mean it's not art. It just means that I don't get it. And that's the difference here between myself and, and Mr. Ebert. And, of course, I who am I? I'm nobody. I'm some schmuck sitting behind a microphone that, outside of you know several thousands on the Internet, no one's ever heard of or will ever care, versus somebody who millions and millions and millions of people know and is in major papers on TV and whose opinion is actually taken with a great deal of weight by a lot of people. And I think that's the real crime here, is here is a person who has a very large stage from which to shout from. And people will pay attention to him. Who will give credence to the fact that because he doesn't get it, therefore it is not art. I'm not going to sit here and try and debate any further about what is art other than in the realm of the topics that he brought up, which is composers, writers, 
artists, actors, and that kind of genre. In and of that, much like movies, and perhaps to a more degree, a higher degree, all of those come into play. Because you cannot have a good video game without those. Without writing. Well, I mean, there are some, but you get my point of view. I think it's very ignorant. I think it's very foolish to ignore what is an, an untapped medium when it comes to artwork. And I don't think that this is recent. This has been the case for years and years and years. Since the very first games came out. What about the spirit of competition? What about a game that moves me to want to improve myself? Be faster. Be smarter. Be quicker. Be better than somebody else. Isn't that art? Isn't it? When you watch a movie that's an underdog movie, pick one. Rudy, for instance. You watch that and you're you know pumping your fist in the air like, yeah! They're carrying him out of the stadium. He sacked the quarterback. It's awesome. Or the team wins the game in the end. How's that any different? You want to go out there and you want to play football. You want to go out there and throw the baseball. You want to go out and do something. I played a game in Napoleon Total War last night with uh, Buckwild and Mechahawk. Hour and a half game. Slug match, three on three. Thousands and thousands of guys on the field. It was an exhausting hour and a half game. And at the end of it, we won. Buckwild held the line because me and Mechahawk were dead. We bled our enemy white. There was nothing left. And Buck did cleanup duty. <clears throat> and it was a near-run thing, to quote Wellington, which is apropos because considering Buckwild was playing English. The British. At the end, I'm like, it was exhausting, but damn, that was fun. I can't wait to play again. I want another. That's the kind of thing I want to do because I feel fantastic at the end of it. I pitted myself using what was given to me in this game against somebody else. My best against somebody else's best. My team versus theirs. Then I came away pumped on something like that. Is that artwork? That game was able to speak to me in that regard when it comes to competition. Is it possible? I don't think it's necessarily artwork that you have to be moved to tears every single time. I don't think it has to be artwork that it pumps you up every single time. And again, I think it comes down to the fact that I don't think Mr. Ebert just doesn't understand the genre. And to be honest, even with this sitting at 15... Okay, look. Because you went to a 15-minute speech given to you by a video game developer does not necessarily entitle you to have an opinion on the genre because it's clear you do not understand enough of it as to what's going on. And I think Mr. Ebert does himself a very great disservice by lodging his opinion out there without trying to explore it a little more than he already has. And this is interesting. We're going to roll this into, uh, because we're, we're reaching 8 o'clock here. I don't think I'm going to go much later than this. 
I'm, I'm really fading fast here, folks. But we're going to roll this right into um, a topic we want to talk about last week, which was on blogs.ocweekly.com, which was the, I believe it's the top nine events that take place in video gaming that made you cry. Quote, there's nothing to be ashamed about. Some video games make you cry. Unlike movies or books, games have a remarkable ability to do more than expressing a story to the viewer. Wow. I've never actually read this until just now, and I agree. This is by Peter Mai, M-A-I. They transform the viewer into an active member of the story, strengthening the link between the player and the fiction. Whether it's feeling a sadness, triumph, fear, or even... I don't know what the hell that word is. Video games can instill all sorts of emotions into the player. Isn't that art? Anyways, there's a game called Elite Beat Agents. You're the inspiration for the Nintendo DS. Lucy, a wide-eyed seven-year-old girl, loses her father in an accident when he leaves on a business trip. His final words to her is a promise that he'd return before Christmas. <clears throat> Apparently the game culminates in order to keep the memory of her late father alive, motivational dancers jump in and sing Chicago's You're the Inspiration. Sure, it's a bit goofy, but it doesn't take away from the emotional emotion behind an innocent child's love for her father. This one's by, I have never played that one. Okami! Final boss fight. In the end credits. Okami is a beautiful game that looks like a Japanese oil painting in motion. Sounds like art to me. During the final battle, when protagonist Amaratsu is about to draw her last breath, she receives the support from just about every character that she had encountered along her journey. Not only is it a touching moment, but as a reminder of all the deeds she has done for the numerous supporting characters in the game. So, it's one of self-sacrifice. Is that artwork? My apologies if any of these are spoilers for those of you who are playing these games, or will be. Dragon Quest V TV commercial. Dragon, Five, Dragon Quest V story is one of the spans of an entire lifetime. The game begins on the day of your character's birth, fresh out of your mom's womb. Throughout the game, you'll experience childhood, witness the death of your parents, get sold into child slavery, get married, have children, and then turn into a statue. All the joys and sorrows the character experienced throughout his entire 30-hour 30 30 life, which spans an entire lifetime. Fred says there's plenty of games should be on their list. And you're right, there is. The Gears of War 2, deep moment in Gears of War 2. This is uh, apparently, Gears of War series is known mostly for bulky dudes that shoot at everything as a solution to all of the world's problems. This is the scene where involving Dom's reunion with his missing wife can catch players off guard. After a long search for Dom's missing wife, Maria, she was discovered to be a prisoner of the Locust Slave Camp. Unfortunately, reality kicks in and Dom discovers that she is dying in pain and appears to be unaware of anything that's going on around her. After a short reunion, Dom is forced to end it the best way he knows how. By pulling a bullet through her skull. Really? Mother 3, Game Boy Advanced. Don't let the colorful graphics and quirky world fool you. What's happening during the introduction of Mother 3 can pull the heartstrings of any gamer. The game starts off with Hinawa and her two children making a trip to see her father in a nearby village. On the way, they are attacked, and ultimately she is stabbed through the heart by a dragon. Her funeral caused her children to run away from home, and her husband becomes arrested after losing his composure. With such a serious tone to the game, Mother 3 can touch the soul of anyone who has played it. Number four, and I'm not sure why this is only number four, is, of course, Eris' death in Final Fantasy VII. I don't think we need to go into that. I think we pretty much already know. 
Number three is Lost Odyssey for the Xbox. Great voice acting graphics accompanied by an excellent soundtrack by Nobu Tomasu. We should all know who that is. Set up one of the most convincing scenes of drama in any video game. After a long overdue reunion with the protagonist, Kame's daughter, you realize that she is ill and stays by her bedside as she passes away. Then it follows into a dramatic scene at the girl's funeral, apparently. Number two, Final Fantasy VI. I think I remember this one, too. Unlike modern games that have the luxury of great graphics and orchestra for a soundtrack, the SNES classic Final Fantasy VI had to rely only on pixel graphics and MIDI music. That's why exactly why this game is so amazing. The game, more than any other RPG, has the ability to captivate players with a great narrative. Whether it's Rachel's Resurrection, The Lost Successor's Lover, or the famous opera scene, this game has more worthwhile emotion scenes than anything you've seen on TV these days. And isn't that the truth? Right there. I mean, you have several people dying off. That you would actually, you know, again, you're emotionally invested into the game itself, into these characters. And how cool is the opera scene? Finally, number one is Metal Gear Solid 3. After the final duel, Naked Snake is forced to end the life of his mother-like mentor, the boss. Yes, I know that's her name. He holds a gun to her for a mercy kill, and it's up to the player whether to pull the trigger. About the story, the player is convinced that Snake's mentor has betrayed the United States. Is later discovered, however, that she allowed her name to be tarnished in order to protect the country in which she served. As a secret, if the player presses the R1 button during the scene, he or she is able to view the final moments of the game through Snake's point of view. The screen blurs from the tears, and at this point, the player probably doesn't need to press the button to see tear out vision, etc., etc. So basically, you have to decide whether or not to kill your mentor, who apparently is being sacrificed for the good of the nation. Yeah, Mosky Bear brings it up. Feeding fish to Sid. And that's right. Keep on feeding fish to either lives or he dies. No, I don't think all these games were Japanese. No. I don't think Gears of War is. I mean, just reading the comments in IRC, obviously there's the games that we remember. If it makes a lasting impression on you, is that not Art? The way it is, is submitted to you, it's been, you know, uh, presented to you in that way, isn't it? So no offense to Mr. Ebert, I understand there are movies out there, movies that probably many more millions have seen that may be inspired by Dead Poet Society. That's one I always hear about a lot. Which I never understood. Never cared for that movie. But they're a prime example. A lot of people are inspired to become teachers over it. I thought Robin Williams was a nutcase. That you know, that's what I came away with it. I hate poetry. So there you have it. In a nutshell. Fred says, but do you base the value of art on how many have seen it? Well, that was kind of my point earlier, Fred's, when I said that people under the age of 20 or under the age of 30 would probably relate with the Mario Brothers more than they would the statue of David from Michelangelo. Now, because more people have seen that, does that mean you know the statue of David has been invalidated as artwork? Of course not. But at the same time, just because millions of people happen to know who the Mario Brothers is doesn't necessarily invalidate that as artwork. It's the same thing they say about cartoons and animation. Well, that's not artwork. By the very definition, I would think it is. 
No, that says the Prince of Persia part where the woman dies in the end might be considered. Arasama says movies require that you watch two hours rather than investing 30 hours, especially in the case of like, like Dragon Quest V, where you are born, live, marry, have kids, and die. And then are immortalized in statues and other things for by the culture of the place you're fighting for. Never played Dragon Quest V, but I get the idea. But see, Orsama, it's not a matter of detail. That, that's not the point of it. At least I don't think so. That's, that's not where I'm getting at. I guess I just take umbrage with what Roger Ebert was saying and what he was trying to get at. I didn't particularly care for. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that's probably a less fiery version of the Emperor's Court than you're used to, but um, I was not kidding when I said I'm really hurting here, so... But we're going to end this one early. I know we're supposed to go to 9 o'clock normally. However, I do not have Highlander here to help me carry the show. I've been doing this for two hours already. I am in no shape to continue doing so. So my apologies for ending sooner than we normally would. I want to thank Mechhawk Nunleff for submitting a lot of the articles read and talked about this week. Nunleff for doing a fantastic IRC reference job, as always. I encourage you to go to the home of Clan Imperial Guard, Clan1G.net. We can talk with all of us. Get the clan, me and Mechawk and Buckwild and Highlander and Baron and the rest. Don't forget, uh, let's see, coming up tomorrow we have Shotcraft at noon with Total Biscuit for all your video watching StarCraft 2 needs. I highly encourage you to do that. On Sunday, I believe we have Octi on the Hordak versus the World in the afternoon. And I don't know, actually, uh, I don't know that Casually Hardcore is airing Sunday night uh, due to in real life events. Check btwproductions.com for details. See if anything has happened. I don't know that for sure, so I won't speculate. I don't know if gaming nights or game nights are coming on after me or not. Uh, they're supposed to start airing at 10 o'clock. I don't know if tonight's their debut show or not. None left. If you're able to find out for me, let me know. What did we learn today? Uh, thank you, DJ. That's nice. I learned that Highlander will be back next week, so... Send all your quickening questions and your reverse quickening answers to Highlander1G at gmail.com. I learned that games are indeed artwork. As opposed to what Roger Ebert would say. I learned that you cannot equate religion in the crucifixion of Christ to a right simulator. I think that's way off base. Let's see, what else did we learn? I learned I'm really in need of some medication I was given that I would like to take to put me in a happier place. <laughs> Not really, but it might help alleviate this. And I learned that we'll be back next Friday at our normal time from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget to join us on Facebook. It's Emperor's Court on Facebook and Twitter. We also got twitter.com backslash Emperor's Court. Make sure to add us. Uh, what else we got on tap? I believe Wednesday is SU Gaming at 10 o'clock. And then I believe, I'm sorry, uh, Natural 20 does his show, T for 20, on Tuesdays. So by the way, did we find out if Gaming Nights is debuting tonight or not? Yes, yes, no, no. None left. All right, so we think Gaming Nights follows me tonight at 10 o'clock Eastern. Check the website for details, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Right here on Versa World Productions, vtopproductions.com. So, 
Did my music stop playing? Yes, I did. Here we go. Got plenty more music where that came from. Okay. We learned about... Yeah, that's right, Divine Justice. We, already, we learned about StarCraft Pro salaries, and we learned about the giant scandal that's breaking in South Korea regarding StarCraft and people taking bets and throwing matches. We'll have to follow that and keep on that and see what comes of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you for tuning in tonight for the Empress Court. Remember, we are back to our normal nights from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on Versa World Productions, VTWProductions.com. This is the Empress saying bad manners and no manners of... Bad manners are better than no manners at all. Somebody pass me the Tylenol. Go Cavs. So long, everybody.